0: Hope oh, recorded live. Hello again, faithful Christians, and thank you for joining me this beautiful Sunday morning. As I broadcast to you live in Brooks, Georgia, the date is march thirteenth, twenty sixteen and we have about ninety five percent humidity and seventy three degrees already at ten AM. So needless to say it's gonna be a whopper. But today, we're going to have a more casual and relaxed look at the first earth age. More specifically, the earth's first sinful career, which many of my flock are well familiar that I preached numerous times over the years, the concept of a tohu vabohu. In fact, I preached a sermon around mid-2013 titled, Without Form and Void. And if you desire a more Pentecostal, more emotional type sermon, I invite you to listen to that. However, this particular Sunday morning, being as I will be appearing on Yahweh's Truth this evening at 8 p.m. alongside Dr. James P. Wickstrom, we're going to take a look over some of the notes that I have assembled over the years that ultimately led up to my book, Sataniel, and the Morning Star series. Because if we do not understand what happened in the beginning, we most assuredly will not fully comprehend how it will be at the end. And it is quite eye-opening how many of us profess to be Christians, but can't get past the very first two verses in all of Scripture. And by that I mean the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, In the beginning God created the heaven And the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And it's that that I want to be taking a look at this particular Sunday morning. Because it is quite ironic that many people cannot grasp this concept of a first earth age. There was a world before this one. And this most assuredly is not only mentioned here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, but also in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, Jeremiah chapter 4, roundabout verse 23, Ezekiel chapter 28, and also Second Peter chapter 3, which is one of my personal favorites. And time allowing, this particular Sunday morning, we'll look at all of those Passages of scripture that all straightforwardly tell us that there was a world before this one. A first earth age, meaning that we are now living in the second earth age. And the saints, most assuredly, are looking forward to, and many hastening, and ushering in the final and third earth age. So in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, we have the fact that the earth was in existence before the spirit of Yahweh God began to move or brood upon the face of the waters that covered the earth. And it is interesting how we read this and never fully understand, well, why is it? Why would Yahweh God be moving upon the face of the deep waters? Where did those waters come from? After all, if this were to be the very beginning, but it's not the very beginning. Understand that the conjunction and is used to connect about 200 separate acts of Yahweh God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 alone. And every single one of these acts are all equally independent and extremely important. Thus we must understand that verse 2 is as independent as verse 1 is. So to fully comprehend Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we must understand that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. There is no specific amount of time given there is there rather verse two continues on and says and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep deep what deep waters and Peter mentions that so does Jude and most assuredly so does Enoch but in verse one we have the original creation of the heavens and the earth and in verse two we have the original perfect earth made chaotic and flooded with water which destroyed all life upon the face of the earth And I'm going to prove this as we dissect the etymology of these words that comprise the first two verses in all of Scripture. For example, the word was, that's found in verse 2, is from the Hebrew word haya. And it's a verb. It means to become. Not to be. But to become. It's translated over 67 times as to become, becamest, came, become, come, and come to pass. And many other times in the sense of becoming. So that alone is extremely important. In the beginning, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. So, was in verse 2 is from Haya. Meaning that the earth became without form and void. Very important. And extremely important to understand Jeremiah chapter 4 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And all of the players of Genesis chapter 3 who exactly seduced Eve and what those proverbial trees were in the beginning. So the first point we must understand is that was, is haya, it's a verb, it means to become. So we could read this properly as the earth became without form and void. Now the phrase without form is from the Hebrew word tohu, and perhaps you've heard me preach on this before, the concept of a tohu vabohu, or the world that then was. It does not only appear here in the very first few verses of the Bible, but it also appears in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. And time-allowing, we'll get to that. But it means a waste, a desolation, or a confusion not far removed from Babylon, which means confusion. To put this in perspective, it's translated waste in Deuteronomy chapter 32, or without form here. It's also translated as vain, confusion, nothing, or a wilderness. So it can be seen already from these first two passages that the word really means that the condition of the earth, when Yahweh God created it, it was perfect. It was inhabited. And we can prove that from Isaiah chapter 45. Then there was a tohu bohu. Then came darkness, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. So, the Hebrew word for void is bohu. The tohu bohu, The earth became without form and void. In the Bohu, it means, at least in Hebrew, an empty ruin or a void. And it's translated as a void in Jeremiah chapter 4. Emptiness in Isaiah chapter 33. The Hebrew phrase, Tohu Babohu, to make a waste or a ruin or to make desolate or empty, certainly describes the chaotic condition of the earth in the beginning or after the creation, the six days of reconstruction. Perhaps this sheds light on why it would be Yahweh God who instructed Adam and his descendants to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. To do what? To replenish the earth, not plenish it, because it once was plentiful and plenished, correct? So, understanding right in the beginning, in the very first two verses, in the beginning, Yahweh God created the heavens and the earth. And for those that doubt, perhaps this also sheds light on why it would be, Yahweh says, Come, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who do you think that our is? So to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, literally, it's this In the beginning, by the periods or the ages, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became a waste and a ruin desolate and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, the flood, and the Spirit of God moved and brooded upon the face of the waters. So this is the whole span of the creative ages between verse 1 and verse 2. No specific amount of time given, although there are hints from the rest of Scripture. And like I said, we're going to look at some of those. But we have the fact that there is a dateless past. God created the heavens. The sun, the moons, the stars, not only that, cities, and they were occupied cities, and we're going to prove that if you turn with me this Sunday morning to Isaiah chapter 14. And for those of you who are just joining, let me announce that tonight at 8 p.m. I will be co-hosting alongside Dr. James P. Wickstrom on an all-new episode of Yahweh's Truth. That's number 58022 on the Shoe Radio Network. I also will be appearing the week after that, next week, on Eurofolk Radio, alongside Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. And we're going to be looking at many, many things. But we'll definitely be promoting Yahweh's truth and the the truth of Yahweh's Word. And in Yahweh's Word, in Isaiah chapter 14, we have conclusive proof that Lucifer ruled the earth before the days of Adam. And about this time, you're going to have a single seed-liner nut culty come in and say, well, Lucifer's only the king of Babylon. Really? Well, we're going to look at some of the things he did, right? But first, let's read the passage. But remember also, as well, but as we read through this, that in the book of Job, it was uh, Satan who came. There was a day when the sons of Yahweh angels came and they assembled. And Yahweh God asked Satan, where are you going? To and fro upon the face of the earth, correct? That was his his response to Yahweh God. Now, did you ever stop to wonder why it was? Yahweh God gave him full permission in the book of Job, which I might add, many people believe to be the oldest book in all of canon, meaning that many people would place Job before Genesis, which would probably, in a lot of ways, make more sense. But in Isaiah, chapter 14, we're going to look at this Lucifer, this quote-unquote king of Babylon. And I'm going to prove to you from the rest of Scripture that this Lucifer means exactly what his name means. But before we get there, in Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 7, very important key. Remember this. Underline this in your Bible. This is Yahweh God speaking, and he says, I form the light and create darkness. Darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all of these things. And that's not the only place in Scripture. But understand, Yahweh God creates evil. Thus there is a reason, is there not, for Satan? And there was two choices placed there in the very beginning for Adam and Eve. Two trees. The tree of the knowledge of life and death and the tree of life. Who do you think is who? Well, let's look at this in Genesis chapter or uh, in Isaiah chapter fourteen, in verse twelve we read, "How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer!" Stopping right there. No man has seen heaven at any time. We learn this from scripture, do we not? Therefore, this Lucifer is not a man. First key coming out the gate here in Isaiah chapter fourteen, verse twelve: "How thou art fallen!" From heaven, second key, for him to have fallen from heaven, this Lucifer, we must understand as well that he couldn't be a non-white, could he? Because the man who comes in and says that this Lucifer, who wants abode within the kingdom, that Revelation confirms will be cast out to seduce Eve, was within that kingdom. But let's look at this. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou? cut down to the ground, which did weakest the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Satan, this is his thought. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to the sides of the pit, down to hell. Thus, we understand several important keys here. Because the man's going to come in and say, That's just the king of Babylon. Yahweh God is not the author of confusion. Babylon means confusion. First key is that Satan is Lucifer. But his name, that's his proper name. What does it mean? It's already given. Son of the morning. Son of the what? Morning stars. Notice that when he falls down, he says, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Those same morning stars and or angels that Job says in chapter 38 are the angels of Yahweh God. So, Heliel, or at least this, Lucifer, is a proper name. Number two, he was the son of the morning. Therefore, not an earthly man. Number three, he fell from heaven. This can never be spoken of a man, dear kinsfolk, because it was Yahshua himself who said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, did he not? Thus, those who come in and say, Lucifer, this proverbial star that fell from heaven is just a man. Making Yahshua the liar. Isn't that interesting? Here's another point. He was cut down to the ground in his fall. Remember that in Scripture there is only one person sentenced to perish by name, and that happens to be Satan. He's considered the son of perdition because perdition means to perish. Here, once again, when he is told, You will be thrown down and brought to hell to the sides of the pit. This can only be the son of perdition. Notice that it continues in verse 16. They that shall see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? Well, they'll marvel. They're astonished. Why? Because they think he's just a man. Man, right? Is this the man that deceived the nations? Thus we read in Revelation, who has wisdom If you have wisdom, you can count or reckon the number of the beast, for it is a what? A human number, the number of a man. It's very simple. Satan's going to take on the visage of a man. And, of course, Scripture proves that. Well, he was cut down to the ground in his fall. We read about that when Michael and his angels war against Satan and his. He had weakened the nations on earth. What ruler, what man-king that lives in earth? If he's lucky, a hundred years is able to do that. He was exalted in his heart. He invaded heaven where Yahweh God rules, or at least attempted to do so. Does that sound like a man to you? So be weary of the man who comes in and says, Lucifer's just a man. That he was a king, he had a throne, and he had subjects over who he ruled, and he wanted to exalt his kingdom above the clouds. The angels, or the very stars of Yahweh God, and he wanted to dethrone God, did he not? He wanted to be worshipped in the congregation of God. And you can read about that in Psalms chapter 72, round about verse 2, and Isaiah here in chapter 6. He also led a rebellion, this Lucifer, but he was defeated. His kingdom was on earth, thus he would have never tried to ascend above the clouds. Very important. No man has seen heaven at any time. And so let's look at this continuing on, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, and opened not the house of the prisoners, very important, destroyed the cities thereof, because here in a moment I'm going to take you to several places to prove that there was a pre-Adamite world, a world that then was, as referenced by Peter, but not only that, (laughs) that we're looking forward to the third, are we not in Ezekiel, chapter 28. Please turn over there. You have your Bible. And I'm glad some of you guys actually found the super secret bat cave. i uh, been having a few problems. In fact, I'm going to be addressing some of those tonight on Yahweh's Truth. But here we go once again, the judgment on Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 28. We can begin about verse 7. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. Now, understand brightness. Time and time again we see this analogy, which is why angels are equated to stars. When John saw Yahshua, what did he do? He dropped to his knees. His head and his hairs were white like wool by way of brightness. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14 so they shall defile thy brightness. What else? They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Interesting, is it not? Because we already covered that about Lucifer. Thus, common sense and math denotes that if Lucifer, the king of Tyre, share the same fate and are considered to be the same exact creature of Yahweh God, then they must be the same. Verse 9, Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt be a man, and no God, in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hands of strangers. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord, Elohim. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came unto me. Notice the change. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyrus. What does Tyre mean? Tyre means rock, but Tyrus means, more specifically, a false rock. Thus, we must understand, we must establish our home upon a good foundation. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord Elohim, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. We're talking about Satan here. And just last week, I proved that in Yahshua, there's nothing physical to be desired. But yet, Satan, the original angel, the anointed cherub that covereth the mercy seat of Yahweh God, was the full pattern, was he not? The full sum here in Ezekiel, and perfect in beauty. Pay close attention to this verse, chapter um, chapter 28, verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Just a man, huh? Just a king of Tyre, just a king of Babylon? None of those were in the... Garden of Yahweh God being Eden, and you can see we're going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, are we not? Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the Sardis, Topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabarets and pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. Very interesting, because angels were created to sing forth glory to Yahweh God, right? Those morning stars, to sing and play instruments and glorify his name. This is more than just a mere king. Verse 14 confirms that. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Stopping right there. Thou, this king of Tyre, this Lucifer, is an anointed cherub. What's a cherub? But an angel that covereth what? The mercy seat of Yahweh God. There were two angels above it, the Ark of the Covenant, were there not? One would be Michael, one would be Angel, or uh, Satan, eternally fighting. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Yahweh God speaking. Yahweh God creates evil. Yahweh God forms light. We already established that. Notice this. Thou wast on the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones Of fire. You want a clue as to why Satan fell? It's found right there in verse 14, also 13. His beauty. How can I say that? Prove it. Next verse 15. Thou, Satan, Lucifer, the serpent of old, was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. Iniquity. Polite way of saying lawlessness, which is another name of Satan, the lawless one. So what we're dealing with here is a time before in the multitude of thy merchandise. Skip to verse 17. Thine heart, Sataniel, Lucifer, was lifted up because of thy beauty. That's why he fell. And also why there should be no beauty within Yahshua physically, at least physically, that you would desire him. Satan and his sin is what? Enticing. Enticing. Thus he does what? Iniquity, lawlessness. Iniquity was found in him because his heart was lifted up, because of his beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Not a king, is it? If he's laid before kings, that kings can behold him. We're dealing with a fallen angel, the son of perdition. And it looks like time's getting away from me. We have a lot to cover. So turn with me to Jeremiah. And I'm also going to prove this point of the Tohu Bohu, and Satan's rebellion. This is extremely important to understand because it is Judaism, pure soul Babylonian Judaism, that teaches Satan is man's flesh. In fact, this is why Jewish boys have bar mitzvahs. They want to keep their Impure inclination, quote-unquote, or Yitzharah at bay. You understand that? If we allow these idiots to come in and convince us that we are born of the devil, as Yahshua clearly told the Jews in John chapter 8, then we are subject to further Judaism. And I'm telling you, dear kinsfolk, it's why they focus on us. It's why they always try to come in with their ridiculous garbage. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. And I'm going to prove once again. Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Very important. I beheld the earth, Jeremiah speaking, and lo, it was without form and void. Did you hear it? Jeremiah is talking, and he is prophesying, telling you about the first earth age. He says, I beheld. This is his vision. The earth, and it was what? Tohu babohu. It became without form and void. Jeremiah here is telling you what happens in Genesis chapter 1 between verses 1 and 2. He continues on. He says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. Tohu babohu. And the heavens, and they had no light. Do you understand why the Spirit of Yahweh God moved upon the face of the deep in the darkness? There was no light. But Jeremiah adds, oh, so much more. Let's continue reading in verse 24. He says, I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. There was no man left, because obviously the birds of the heaven had left, had they not? Don't believe me? Let's keep reading, because Jeremiah is going to talk about cities laid to ruin during this catapult of Satan. He says also, I beheld and lo, there was no man, and the birds of the heaven were fled. I beheld and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of Yahweh God by his fierce anger. By his fierce anger. For thus hath Yahweh God said, The whole land shall be desolate. Yet, will I not make a full end? Not make a full end. At least, to us. us. Understand, that's why the first earth age is done away with, and the second earth age is ushered in. Because Yahweh God will not make a full end. He even proves that in verse uh, 28. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black. Because I have spoken it. I have proposed it. And I will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. The whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. The whole city. Very important also because we're about to turn here to the New Testament and a few other places that prove exactly what we're saying here about the pre-Adamite world. He says, the whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and bowmen. They shall go into thickets and climb upon the rocks. And every city shall be forsaken, and not a man to dwell therein. So thus the cities were destroyed. And when thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Turn with me now to, to uh, Peter. Second Peter. And for those of you who don't know, I actually began my ministry teaching on Second Peter chapter 2. Because just the realization that false prophets still exist among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, should waken people up. I mean, when it comes down to Yahshua saying, narrow is the way and few there be that find it, if that doesn't work. Huh. In Second Peter chapter 3, let's begin reading here in verse 5. Peter says, for this they are willingly ignorant of. Catch it, willingly. In order to be willingly ignorant of something, that denotes that we must have a form of free will. Does it not? But that's a study for another day. If you read before this, you understand. This is a prediction of scoffers who will come in and deny Yeshua's coming. That he clearly taught, no man knows the hour or the moment, but they'll come in in the end times and say, well, since the fathers fell asleep, Yeshua's never going to return, right? Thus, Peter says, for this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men do you think that ties in to Isaiah chapter 14 and what we've covered in Ezekiel do you think that ties into Genesis chapter 1 well let's analyze this there Willingly ignorant of this fact that by the word of God, John chapter 1, verse 1 begins on that note in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and that word was God, right? Verse 14 in John chapter 1 says that word was made flesh and dwelt among man. But here's the point you should understand Yahweh God spoke and it became reality. He did not need tangible material to create, unlike man. Very important key, because Satan cannot create anything, much less his own race or hybrid. He can only pervert those things that were already created good in the beginning of Yahweh God. Thus, in the replenishment era, at the beginning of the second earth age, where we learn about the proverbial days, on this day Yahweh did this, on this day Yahweh rested. There was a reason why Yahweh God made all of these things again, and told them to go out. But they are willingly ignorant that Yahweh, by the word, and not only that, the heavens that were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What does Genesis chapter 1 say? Darkness moved upon the face of the deep waters. Peter is telling you right here about the world that then was. He says, whereby the world that then was... The world that then was, the era or aeon, the first earth age that then was at that time being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now the second earth age, by the same exact word of Yahweh God, in short, we could just say Yahshua, they are reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Now, perhaps when we read about these wandering stars that fell, and that they are considered reserved to whom it is reserved the darkness of blackness forever you understand why it is because they fell now in jeremiah we need to understand that there is a contrast being made here between the whole earth being totally desolate and the land of israel being partially desolate the purpose of course is to show how utterly god cursed the entire earth But yet he says, I will not make a full end, and that was the case, again, in the pre-Adamite world. The earth was, or had become, was, again as a verb, became without form and void. In the Hebrew, tov abohu. Literally meaning, by today's standards, a waste, a ruin, or desolate and empty. We must not neglect the fact that the heavens were in existence, as well as the earth But their lights were withheld from shining on the earth, thus causing the darkness of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now, that's all proven in Jeremiah and many more facts than that. In fact, if you haven't already, I'll invite you to order my book. In fact, you can download it for free at covenantpeoplesministry.org. Print it out for yourself. But it goes into much more detail. There had to have been men on the earth, for example, because no one was left after God got through overthrowing Lucifer's kingdom on earth. And we covered that in Isaiah. There had to have been cities made by the inhabitants of the earth because there was not one city left after this judgment was there. And we could easily, and of course there's going to be idiots who come in and say, that's Noah's flood. That's not what Peter's talking about. The world that then was, the entire world, or that eon. The word in the Greek here translated world is cosmos, meaning a social system. That social system that was then was deluged with water, and it perished. And here's another interesting key that we get only here in Second Peter. After he talks about the heavens and the earth, which are now in this current earth age that we live in now, he says this, he warns us in verse 8 here in chapter 3 of Second Peter. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with Yahweh as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is why Yahweh God is long-suffering. And not only that, that gives you a glimpse to the mindset of Yahweh God. The mindset of Yahweh God is that all will come to repentance. We are living on borrowed time as it is. And I've preached this in sermons past. It's quite interesting how Yahweh God shuts, cuts short the days of tribulation for the elect's sake. But yet the elect get persecuted by the godless world who's living on borrowed time when they're living on borrowed time thankful to us. So understand that point as well. To us not willing that any should perish. Second key is this. A day with Yahweh God is as a thousand years. Peter establishes this in context to discussing the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perishing, that age being destroyed. So this, when we get to Genesis chapter 2, should shed more light on why it was there were days of creation. And I'm not limiting Yahweh God. He could speak the world into existence and it would be there. But understand this concept as well. For all intents and purposes, the biblical timeline here is given by Peter. A day with Yahweh, it says a thousand years. So if we were to say on the second day, third day, fourth day of recreation, each one of those was an eon or a thousand year reign that would not be far removed. Why? Because one day. With Yahweh is as a thousand years. And also consider this. If one day with Yahweh God is as a thousand years, then it's only been two days since Yahshua was crucified. While this world sits saying, where is the promise of his coming, right? Peter says in verse 3, chapter 3 of of his second epistle, Know this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. What do those scoffers do? They walk after their own lusts. And why do they do that? Because they feel safe. They say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Do you believe that? Well, the world does. They think it's always been this way. And everything is happenstance, and children have no souls, etc. You know the rhetoric. But Yahweh God is behind everything, and Peter proves that. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. It's only the idiot, bastard men who come in and say, Well, where is He? It's only been two days. Can we be a little patient if we understand that a day with Yahweh God is as a thousand years? Well, that should be self-evident. So another point I want you to understand is back here in Isaiah chapter 14 in the Old Testament. And of course, there's many other places I could take you to. But in Job... When he comes to say... say, In fact, let's turn there. It's a good good idea. Uh, Turn to Job chapter 1. Because this actually ties into the... Quote-unquote temptation of Yahshua. Because it was Yahshua who even realized... And at least understood... The earthly authority of Satan. Did he not? Yeah, indeed he did. We're going to prove that. But to establish that... We must go to Job. And if there are any questions... Or anybody desires to call in today, time allowing, I could get to that if you're on the line before we conclude here in about 20 minutes. But uh, you know the story. Job was uh, went through many, many trials, just like we will today. And uh, basically, exactly what Peter mentioned in his second chapter, where is the promise of his coming, right? Job's friends would come and say, well, God's not for you. Why don't you turn around and curse God? But Job never did. He always understood that Yahweh God giveth, and Yahweh God will restore. So it is here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 of the book of Job. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Satan came also among them to present themselves before Yahweh. And Yahweh said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Understand that? Understand why this is the man that deceives the nations? This is his world and his dominion to give. So much that when he thought he was tempting Yahshua, he could say, If you do me homage, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, right? They were his to give. And Yahshua, in the form of Yahweh in the Old Testament, confirms it in verse 3. And Yahweh said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast to his integrity. And thou, thou, thou did movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now, you know the story. Satan answered Yahweh God and said, skin for skin. All a man hath, he will give for his life, but not so in the case of Job. But what you need to understand here before we get to the temptations of Yahshua is that fact. Satan used everything we've already covered this morning from the prince of Tyre, the prince of Babylon, all of these quote-unquote men who are under this number of a man, 666, right? Let him who have wisdom. But yet every single one of them having supernatural powers whether they're the anointed cherub that covereth, whether they fell from heaven as Yahshua confirmed in the book of Luke. So this is extremely important. Again, for those of you who are just now joining, feel free to swing by tonight at uh, 8 o'clock p.m. And uh, 58022 is the uh, call number for... uh, The Talk Shoe Radio Network, and I'll be on with Dr. James P. Wickstrom. And again, if anybody has any questions, it's a good time to do it. Now, we've covered Luke, we've covered Matthew, we've covered uh, Mark, but mostly Luke. There are many things that are transcribed within the Gospel according to Luke that aren't transcribed in the rest of the other accounts. And one of those, of course, would be the temptation of Satan and the resurrection of Lazarus, the prodigal son, of course, and uh, uh, the parable of Lazarus and Dives, which is very interesting to me because uh, you hardly ever hear anybody preach on the parable of Lazarus and Dives. But it was Lazarus across the Gulf saying, give me a drink of water, send a messenger to my family so we can avoid this hell right and uh it was too late and so bear that in mind that there is a cutoff point even to yashua's grace and uh, i'm going to look real quick here on the uh in the chat room and see if there are any questions And also, thank you guys for uh, those of you who listen to these, and and uh, what do you call it? YouTube and uh, Daily Motion, Vimeo, and all those places where it goes around because uh, because uh, that makes a world of difference. In fact, if anybody does listen to this in the next week or so, if you're able to, please drop a letter into my post office box, which I'll give here at the conclusion of this broadcast. Because we haven't received mail in about four or five weeks, and it's starting to alarm us. But there were several things that Satan uh, tempted Jesus with. And, of course, you know this. Now, they appear in Matthew, Mark, and uh, everywhere else. But the first one, of course, was stones. If you if you be the Son of God, command that the stones be made bread. Right Now, number one, that was because Satan had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Number two, that was because he was just baptized by John in the River Jordan and went into the wilderness. But do you remember Yahshua's reply to Satan? He said, it is written, first and foremost, it is written. And just like every time Yahshua would rebuke the Pharisees to take it back to the written word, he says, it is written that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, it's only in Matthew that this entire sentence is written. But the reality of it is, is, Satan comes through first, and what does he do? Just as James says, he attempts to appeal and lure through the flesh. He understood that Satan or that uh, Yahshua was in a weakened state because he had been fasting for 40 days. Now, the second part of this is even more interesting. He offers Yahshua all the kingdoms of the world, does he not? He takes him up to the pinnacle of a temple. He says, "If thou be the Son of God." Cast thyself down from hence. Notice that Satan at this point is realizing, okay, we have to keep it within Scripture. First he comes through the flesh. Yahshua corrects him. It is written. Then Satan comes and says, it is written. Modus operandi in a trade of the snake. We should remember that. They're shapeshifters. Satan comes in and says, it is written. He shall give his angels charge over thee, right, to keep thee. And their hands should, shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, you probably understand this already, but this is a perversion of the 91st Psalm. Satan comes in and drops a few sentences here. But again, here's the point. Yeshua says, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. King James says, Thou shalt not tempt thy Lord thy God. Yeshua clearly told Satan he was God, did he not? So much so, he could say, get thee behind me, Satan. Why do you think Satan still exists? Well, the third temptation is the one where the devil or Satan takes Jesus to a high place. A very high mountain. And what does he say? Satan says, all of these things I will give you. All these kingdoms of the world. Remember, in Job, he was walking to and fro upon and in it. And Satan didn't say, well, what are you doing down from the throne of heaven? You're walking to and fro upon the face of the earth, does he? Satan tells Yahshua, all these kingdoms of the world I will give you if you fall down in an act of worship towards me. Do you get it? Yahshua owns the earth. Yeshua was, was was simply put. Yahweh in flesh form, right? Emmanuel, God with us, he owned all the kingdoms of the world, but that did not stop Satan from coming in and tempting him with that. Yahshua replies, get away, Satan, or my adversary. The Lord your God you shall worship, and him alone you shall serve. Yahshua did not break that very simple commandment, which happens to be one of the big ten, the first two, actually. Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your understanding. So, in, per- in dealing with Lucifer, he was the son of the morning, which Job chapter 38 proves are angels. He fell from heaven, which Luke and Yahshua both said no man hath beheld at any time. He was cut to the ground during his fall, which scripture says there was only one particular person that fell from heaven. And I use that person, that term person loosely, because that also is Satan, when he warred with Michael and his angels. The same Lucifer wanted to invade heaven where God ruled, did he not? But so the same can be said for Ezekiel, because here, when we're dealing with the king of Tyre, quote-unquote, that was the ruler of this Eden, or every precious stone was his covering, where he was the anointed cherub that covereth, we must understand he was a created being. Thus, he could only refer to Satan and not a mere man, because what Ezekiel is discussing is the pre-Adamite world, right? And even if we believe there is no tohu vabohu, the context of Ezekiel chapter 28 proves that this particular Satan, being in the garden of God, being full of wisdom and perfect in his beauty, existed before the creation of Adam, Therefore, when that serpent, that revelation confirms, is Satan himself, comes to beguile, expatio, sexually seduce in the Greek, Eve, that should make more sense. He was an anointed cherub, meaning he protected or ruled the earth. But what happened? He was lifted up because of his beauty. Notice that here in Ezekiel chapter 28, between verses 11 and 17, we are told that he was created a perfect sinless angel. A perfect, sinless angel. So as Peter says, this they are willingly ignorant of. If Satan was created perfect, but became a sinner through pride, as 1 Timothy teaches us, he also possessed a form of free will. So much so that sin was found within him. And not only that, Notice the trait of what happens in Ezekiel's vision. He became filled with violence because of his merchandise. Merchandise in the Hebrew means traffic or trafficking. Going about and slandering in a moral sense, he began to accuse God and to get other rebel angels to fall with him. Thus, it was the same exact Satan who drew a third of the stars of heaven that we are referencing this Sunday morning and have already discussed in this topic of the Tohu Bohu, in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the New Testament, latter apostle, Second Peter. But there's still one more thing, or at least one more point I want to prove here, at least in pertaining to the uh, seduction of Eve. So we have about 10 more minutes. Any questions, if you can, put them in the uh, chat room. We'll make them bold if you can, and I'll answer those. Excellent, excellent, excellent. No, exactly, there are no uh, there are no non-whites in the kingdom. It is a ridiculous uh, teaching. And it's good to see you, Daniel, actually. Good to see you, brother. You've made a, a world of difference, actually, this last month, because we've been having a hard time out of it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm sure you've heard me preach on this before. In fact, I've actually covered this in its entirety about a month ago in the parable of the tares and the wheat. But it's here in Matthew chapter 13 where Yahshua explains another pivotal point, I believe, at least in understanding, A, there are no non-white angels. The Nephilim are not non-whites because the the daughters of Adam in Genesis 6 had to breed with pure angels anyway. And thus, we must understand those that are saying these angels are non-whites are the ones preaching universalism. They're the ones saying non-whites are in the kingdom, aren't they? Very simple, actually. But I don't trust cops to actually feed me CI dogma anyway, and I'm sure my listener doesn't. In Matthew chapter 13, very easy to remember, right? Because the world comes along and says, 13 is an unlucky number. (laughs) 13's always been pretty lucky for me, but then again, (laughs) maybe that's why we're having a go of it. Beginning in verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now, if you didn't join me for my entire sermon on the parable of the tears and the wheat, know that this term seed in the Greek, as used by Yahshua, denotes sperma. It is where we derive our modern-day term seed or sperm from. Actually, very simple. But Yahshua says, The kingdom of heaven, which is what we've been discussing, is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Well, when the blade was sprung up and it brought forth fruit, then appeared also the tares. Now, let me point out the obvious. Tares must look like wheat in order to blend in, at least until the time of the harvest. Non-whites don't blend in, are they? Non-whites aren't tares, per se. (laughs) It's not to say they're our friends. But beware the man who's going to come in and try to tell you this. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Why do you have terrors?" And he said unto him, An enemy hath done this. An enemy hath done this. Think that could be Satan? <laughs> that we've already pretty much kind of covered, at least in passing, according to Genesis chapter 3. It was more subtle than every beast of the field. Another point is this. They say to him, Hey, do you want us to go and gather them up? And in verse twenty nine, Yahshua says, Nay, no, lest ye gather up the tares, ye root up the wheat also with them. Notice that Yahshua says tares look like wheat. And commands his disciples not to uproot the tares. This shed light on why Yahweh put a mark on Cain in the very beginning and said, Anybody avenging him will be avenged sevenfold? Lamech seven times seventy? Remember, those are the numbers that Yeshua taught. But this is one of the few parables that Yahshua taught and actually explained. He actually explained this. Therefore, man can't come in and insert his own private interpretation and say, you know what, I don't think the tares are literally the children of the devil, right? I don't think the harvest is the end of the world. Yeshua explains it. Then Yahshua sent the multitude away. This is verse 36 here in St. Matthew chapter 13. And went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Explain, if you will, the definition. What happens? He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Pay close attention. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are angels. You understand why there is no rapture in Scripture? Once again, the tares are taken and burned first, and in almost every parable of Yahshua, it is those lawless who come in and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now pay close attention to verse 40. Yeshua says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Them which do iniquity. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 33. And this will be the final verse in this study on the first earth age. And again, as I mentioned at the very beginning... I have a study titled, Without Form and Void, where I look at this specifically, at least in a Pentecostal fashion, without giving you the etymology of the word. But in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 12, And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. This is when Antichrist is judged. Antichrist. Antichrist. Understand the concept, that man of sin, the son of perdition, go back up to verse 7. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without, the ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste, the wayfaring man ceases, he hath broken the covenant, he hath despised the cities and regarded no man. The earth mourneth and languisheth, Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down, Shilon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off. Now will I rise... Now, Yahshua will rise to judge Antichrist, saith Yahweh. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath fire shall devour you. And then, verse 12, And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up, they shall be burned in the fire. Tears, rudiments, all things that are perverted by Satan. Not created, because he does not possess the ability to create. Just like his children, the Jew today. They come in and take things that are created good, and they pervert them, and they pass it off as art. Just like they... In, don't get me started, but dear folk, I'm going to check real quick to see if there's anybody on the line. Do not neglect, if you're able to, to uh, send me a little letter of encouragement, so at least I'll know my P.O. box is working, and... Uh, I definitely appreciate all the support we have. Since nobody is on the line, once again, feel free to swing by tonight on the TalkShoe Radio Network, TalkShoe.com, and type in the little search box 58022, and I will be a guest joining Dr. Wickstrom tonight for number two, Yahweh's Truth, for the month of March. And also, mid-next week on the Eurofolk Radio Network, I will be broadcasting alongside an old friend, Andy Carrington Hitchcock, who is the author of Synagogue of Satan and the Sacred Name of Yahweh, several other books. And I would invite you to swing by for that. If you're not able to, just swing by Covenant People's Forums, and you can stay abreast on everything that's coming out of this ministry. Again, I want to thank our moderator, Crossman. He's doing a really good job keeping the, the uh, forums nice and clean and keeping the trolls out. So Yahweh bless him. We definitely appreciate all that he does for this ministry and everybody else and those of you that have supported this ministry in the past, Yahweh bless you and your families. Until tonight at eight PM and tomorrow, sometime, Monday, night on Eurofolk Radio. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church. Please write to me at post office box two five six Brooks, Georgia three zero two zero five. Swing by the website at covenantpeoplesministry.org, or you can email me at cpm at covenantpeoplesministry.com. Until next time, war for Christ. Amen.